From Greenville, South Carolina, we present... Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, preaching Christ in all His fullness. Once again, we count it a privilege to welcome you to another broadcast of Let the Bible Speak. Today, we'll hear another message in the life and earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, a series preached by Dr. Alan Cairns, founder of Let the Bible Speak Radio Ministries. We'll hear from Dr. Cairns shortly. First of all, we invite you to enjoy this devotional thought from the pen of C.H. Spurgeon, as found in his collection called Morning and Evening. The text for this morning is found in 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. Consider who we were and what we feel ourselves to be even now when corruption is powerful in us, and you will wonder at our adoption. Yet we are called the sons of God. What a high relationship is that of a son, and what privileges it brings, what care and tenderness the son expects from his father, and what love the father feels toward the son. But all that, and more than that, we now have through Christ— As for the temporary drawback of suffering with the elder brother, this we accept as an honor. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. We are content to be unknown with him in his humiliation, for we are to be exalted with him. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. That is easy to read, but it is not so easy to feel. How is it with your heart this morning? Are you in the lowest depths of sorrow? Does corruption rise within your spirit, and grace seem like a poor spark trampled underfoot? Does your faith almost fail you? Fear not. It is neither your graces nor feelings on which you are to live. You must live simply by faith on Christ. With all these things against us, now, in the very depths of sorrow wherever we may be, now, as much in the valley as on the mountain, beloved, Now are we the sons of God. Ah, but you say, see how I am arrayed. My graces are not bright. My righteousness does not shine with apparent glory. But read the next. It doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. The Holy Spirit shall purify our minds, and divine power shall refine our bodies. Then shall we see him as he is. Ooh, 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 ooh
just as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood. When the prince of life are ransomed, shed for us his precious blood. Who his love will not remember, who can cease to sing his praise, he can never be forgotten. Pastor A.W. Tozer was one of the spiritual giants of the 20th century. A self-made scholar with an insatiable hunger for the deep things of God, he was known to often burn the midnight oil in his study, seeking a more profound experience of his Lord and Savior. His book, The Pursuit of God, is the result of long meditation and much prayer. It is not a collection of sermons. It does not deal with the pulpit and the pew— but with the soul a thirst for God. Some of the chapter titles include Apprehending God, The Gaze of the Soul, and Meekness and Rest. Let the Bible Speak is pleased to offer complete reprints of this timeless devotional help free of charge. For your copy of The Pursuit of God, simply email info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. 
If you wish, you may call us at 864-244-2408. That's 864-244-2408. If you prefer regular mail, simply write Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. Just ask for your free copy of The Pursuit of God. This week on Let the Bible Speak, Dr. Cairns continues to deal with seven essential views of Christ, taking his text from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 29. In Peter's confession, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, we find a number of vital truths regarding the Lord Jesus Christ. First, He is the Christ, the Anointed One, promised all through the Old Testament Scriptures. Next, He is the Son of God the second person of the Trinity, equal in power and majesty to God the Father and to the Holy Spirit. The third view presents Christ as the foundation of his church. The emphasis is not so much upon Peter as upon Christ himself as the bedrock of his church. As Jesus stated unequivocally, I will build my church. He is the only sure foundation for men, including Peter, are usable but movable stones. Now Dr. Cairns brings the next portion of seven essential views of Christ. Uh, Peter was not in Rome at this time. In fact, there is very grave doubt as to whether Peter was ever in Rome at any time. He certainly was never bishop of Rome. He was essentially the uh, apostle to the Jews not to the Gentiles. When Paul went to Rome, Peter was not there. When Paul wrote to Rome sometime, some years before he went there, Peter was not there. In fact, the church had not been established by any of the apostles, but rather by a group of Christians who had come together from many places and had arrived in the imperial capital. So even if Christ did say to Peter, you're the rock, I'm going to build the church, he certainly did not intend anything to be carried over to the Roman pontiffs. There is no such thing in Scripture as what is called apostolic succession. I don't want to get off on a tangent here, but this uh, not only impinges on the doctrine of the Church of Rome, but on uh, much of the charismatic mania that is going around today. You will find that the apostles had a power that lived and died with them. They had the gift of the Holy Spirit, and on whomsoever they laid their hands, the gift of the Spirit was transmitted. 
They received the gift of the Spirit. No one else ever since has had that unique power and gift of God. It does not exist. And anyone who comes along with some notion of apostolic succession is giving you the devil's lie. So, this is a general Protestant interpretation of the passage. Now, in looking at verse 18, you have to see that there is a play on words that isn't altogether obvious in English. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock. Those two words in the Greek text sound very, very alike. The only difference is that while the stem is the same, the end letters are slightly different. Thou art Petros. Peter, and upon this rock, Petra, I will build my church. If you were reading a French version of the Bible, it would say, Thou art Pierre, and upon this Pierre, I will build my church. That will indicate to you the play that is intended upon the words here. It's obvious in Greek. It's obvious in French. It's not so obvious in English. It is reckoned that the Lord Jesus, of course, spoke first in Aramaic. Now, whether he always did or not, we have no means of knowing. It is generally accepted that he did. But anybody jumping to the conclusion that the Son of God could not have spoken Greek to these men, or that these men could not have understood any Greek, I think is going away beyond the evidence. But it is pointed out that uh, if he had been speaking in Aramaic, he would have used a word that we find in John chapter 1 when he said, Thou art Cephas. That's a transliteration of an Aramaic word, Kepha. Thou art Kepha, and upon this Kepha I will build my church. And the argument is that really there was only one word he could use. There was no difference in ending. There's no other Aramaic word. How on earth they know that now, I'm not quite sure. Uh, you see, scholars have very big heads, especially modern scholars. They imagine when they learn a language as it has come down to them in written form that they know all there is about that language. The fact of the matter is that they don't. And what was possible in colloquial speech is certainly far from well known to scholars today. Now I can prove that to you if that were my real point to prove it very easily. Uh, talk to Dr. Barrett sometime about the uh, long-standing tradition about New Testament Greek. Classical Greek scholars scorned it. It was written as inferior Greek. They had all the written Greek before them, and the Greek of the New Testament just did not measure up. It was ignorant Greek. It was Greek written by Hebrews who hardly knew Greek. Many years after all this sort of rubbish had been going around, attacking the Greek of the New Testament, the scholars had to find out that they really didn't know colloquial Greek at all. And they discovered that what the New Testament is written in is in Koine Greek, which is the Greek of the streets, the Greek that people actually spoke in colloquial language. 
What I'm saying to you is that never just swallow what somebody tells you because he's got a PhD after his name. Don't believe it on that basis. And certainly if he's attacking the Word of God. I don't know if the Lord Jesus used one word in Aramaic or if he had another word that he might have used at that time. What I do know is this, that in John chapter 1, I have an inspired translation of what he meant when he gave this name to Peter. Thou art Kepha, Cephas. And then we are given the interpretation, which is Petros, a stone that is movable, but usable. That's the interpretation. We are told very often in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, that the only reason for the change at the end of the words is, Thou art Petros, and on this Petra I will build my church, because Petra is a feminine noun, and he couldn't really use a feminine noun as a proper name for Peter. May well be. But the fact is, we have the inspired meaning of Cephas. You are a stone. And for that reason, many Protestants do not believe that Peter is the rock at all. They don't believe that. They take the difference in ending to indicate that Christ meant to say, You are a movable stone. And I'm going to put you in the building. But I don't build the building on a stone that's movable, but on a rock that's immovable. And you have just said what that rock is, the Christ, the Son of the living God. In other words, when Jesus said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, you will see that he's saying, in effect, I'm building my church on myself, as you have just confessed me. Think of this. Here is the builder and the foundation of the church. Time doesn't allow me to deal with the text in detail. The edifice is my church. This is the only time in the Gospels where the Lord Jesus actually uses this phrase, my church. What a wonderful statement of fact that is. It's my church. We should keep that in mind. I received it in the covenant of redemption as the gift of the Father. John chapter 17, as the Lord Jesus approached death and he entered into the secret place of prayer and he talked to his Father, he kept on speaking of the people, thine they were, thou givest them to me. This is my church because it was given to me in the covenant of redemption by the gift of my Father. 
It is my church because I have loved it with an everlasting love. It is my church because I espoused it to myself, binding it to me in the bonds of everlasting grace and favor. It is my church, for it must be purchased with my own shed blood. It is my church, because I have called out every member of it by the special saving call of the Holy Spirit. I have sanctified it, separating it from sin and the world unto myself. I will glorify it in my ascension to the right hand of God, and I will come again to receive it to myself, a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. This is the building. My church, my church, my church is not an edifice of bricks and mortar. My church is not the church to which men lay claim and put their name upon it. My church, man, that's the only church that it's worth belonging to. It's one of the saddest things in life to come across a, a person going out into eternity. And the only church connection they can claim before God is some earthly denomination. I have said before, when I wasn't long in Greenville, one of the saddest experiences I had was going to visit one of our elderly members in a VA hospital. And as I went to visit him, read the scriptures with him and prayed, I noticed the man in the next bed paying some attention, realizing he was a very old man and I possibly would never see him again. I turned aside uh, to include him in the Bible reading and the prayer, and I spoke with him about his soul, and I asked him, are you ready to meet God? Are you ready to meet God? Are you saved? And he told me, uh, just recently, I joined the Baptist church. He said, well, I'm very glad to hear that you joined the Baptist church. But you know, that will not get you to heaven. Let me ask you, if you've been washed in the blood of Christ, if you've received Christ as your Savior, are you born again? He said, oh, I joined the Baptist church. It was just a month or two before. And I said again, you can't go out to meet God telling him that you have joined the Baptist church. It's not good enough. But he would go no further. Wanted to hear nothing more. I detest preachers who are liars, who draw their salaries as the blood money of the souls that they damn by not telling them the truth. And my own father was in a similar hospital in Northern Ireland. I noticed across the room from him another old soldier. And I knew from the medical reports a blind man could have seen from his condition he was not long for this world. I made a habit of going to talk to him whenever I could. He wasn't an easy man to talk to. And I determined 
I was leaving for America again. I determined I was going to make sure that he would hear from me the challenge of the gospel because I knew unless his doctors were wildly wrong and it was obvious they were not wildly wrong before I ever returned to Northern Ireland he would be in eternity so I went over to him he obviously didn't want to talk about spiritual things but whether he wanted to or not I was going to ask him about his soul as I talked to him I found an impenetrable barrier. And he sat back. Now, this was a foul-mouthed, hard-drinking, wild-living sinner. And he said, oh, my, I'm a member of the Church of Ireland. The Church of Ireland is the Episcopal Church, the Anglican Church. It used to be the established church in Ireland, though not since 1870. Thank God. But uh, he said, I'm a member of the Church of Ireland. The rector has been up to see me, and he has told me, I am all right. That man, unless God took something that was said by me or someone else to get through to his heart, that man, weeks afterward, went out to meet God on the strength of a preacher's lie. You're good enough. You've been baptized and confirmed into this church. That's good enough. And you've done the best you can, and that's good enough. No, no. Jesus says, I have a church, the church of the firstborn, the church of the twice-born, the church of the blood-washed, the church of the spirit-inhabited, the church of the justified and the sanctified. I have a church. It's mine, uniquely mine. I want to ask you this morning, are you in that church? You've been listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America. We hope you've enjoyed and benefited from today's program. We're here as your servants for Christ's sake. If we can be of any further help to you in the things of the Lord, we invite you to contact us. Our mailing address is Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. If you wish, you may call us at 1-864-244-2408. That's 1-864-244-2408. Our email address is info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. 
If you would like to learn more about the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, we invite you to visit our website, www.fpcna.org. That's www.fpcna.org. This is Charles Kelch saying thank you for listening and inviting you to join us again as we Let the Bible Speak. (music) 